0: You're listening to the Bethel University Chapel Podcast, recorded from the Everest War Chapel Fine Arts Center in Mishawaka, Indiana. Thanks for listening. Y'all, we've had some incredible times of worship this week. Can we just give it up for the worship team that's been leading us? Thank you guys. Incredible times of worship. Hey, if you have a Bible, go to Ruth 4, Ruth chapter 4, and uh, do me a favor. um, I'm gonna just have you help me out, just reach for the sky for a second. Okay. It's a spiritual act of worship. Down to the toes, if you can. <laughs> All I hear is, oh, mmm. Oh, oh You're feeling this morning. Uh, uh, shake it off, go back T-Swift from a long time ago. Just Yeah, yeah. Do y'all ever do this is kinda weird. Do y'all ever do like a like a face massac? Some of y'all are like I have no idea what you're talking about. Just like, just like, massage your head for a second, your face, your temples. Just, this has no spiritual value. Some of you're looking at me like, what is it? This? this is not about anything we're talking about. I'm just trying to say, wake up. Just like, be in the moment. Okay, be here. Guys, I'm really excited. Um, you guys have engaged so so much this week, just in the Word, in prayer, in worship. I've just been so thankful for that. Uh, you were so so hungry. God's moving. He really is moving. He's doing something. And uh, this morning, um, we're gonna hop back into Ruth, and uh, I just wanna start the same way. I want us to pause and just invite the Lord into this moment, okay? I want us to invite him, take the next 15, 17 minutes, and just kinda let us dial in, okay? So just right now, can you just take a second, take a couple deep breaths, and let's ask Holy Spirit to teach us his word today. All right, let's pause. Let's pray for a second. In the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Amen. As you're going to Ruth 4, I uh, kind of want to remind you, we spent yesterday in the lifetime of Gideon, and so this is all in the season of the period of the Judges, okay? This is all within the same couple hundred years. Now we're hopping back to Ruth's story. If you remember day one of Ignite, we talked about Ruth being with Naomi. They're on a 50-mile journey right now from Moab back to Bethlehem, and what are they in? They're in a season of famine, I told you that famine could be represented by this home base uh, because it's the concept that the book of Ruth starts at and comes back to, okay? Uh, right now, the famine is literal, so they're hungry, okay? Uh, it's, it's figurative. They uh, both lack husbands. They both lack money. Uh, they both lack provision and safety and emotional intimacy. There's a lot of famine right now, okay? We're hopping in now at the end of the story, So the famine is still there. All that lack is still there. But now what's happened is they've gone back to Bethlehem. They've arrived at the house of bread. God has begun to slowly provide for them. And now God's provided somebody, put somebody in their life that's going to help bring them out of famine. His name is Boaz. We're going to look now at Ruth chapter 4. Go with me to verse 9. And it says this, Then Boaz announced to the elders and the people, Today your witnesses, that I have bought from Naomi, all the property of Elimelech, Kilian, and Malon. I've also acquired Ruth the Moabite, Malon's widow, as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property, so that his name will not disappear among his family or from his hometown. Today, you are witnesses. The elders and all the people at the gate said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make this woman who's coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the family of Israel. May you have standing in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. For the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman, may your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. Verse 13, so Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. The woman said to Naomi, praise the Lord, who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He'll renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you and is better off than seven sons, has given him birth. Guys, I wanna reread literally just these first two verses, okay? This is happening at the gate of their town. The gate is like their courthouse, okay? It's where all the business happens. Any legal binding transactions happen at the gate, okay? This is with Boaz and the elders. This is like a legal proceeding we're jumping into, and Boaz says this at that gate. Today, you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Killian, and Malon, I have also acquired Ruth the Moabite, Malon's widow, as my wife in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property, so his name will not disappear from among his family and his hometown. Today you are witnesses. Then the elders and all the people said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make this woman who's coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the family of Israel. May you have standing in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. Through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman, may your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. Guys, in their time, every single person in Israel had a piece of land that they passed to their kids. Okay, every person, rich, poor, you had a piece of land you gave to your kids. It was called your inheritance. No matter how rich or poor you were, you always had an inheritance. If you got extremely, extremely poor in Israel, what you could do is you could sell your inheritance. But that meant you were kind of Out of luck. It was like, I now have nothing to pass on to my kids. So for them, land is synonymous to our concept of legacy. If you didn't have land, you didn't have a legacy. You had nothing to pass on to the next generation. So when you sold your land as a poor person, you're saying, I'm selling my legacy. I have no hope of passing anything on to the next generation. What we're discovering is that the famine for Naomi had been so severe that before she left for Moab, she sold her inheritance. She gave away her land. She has nothing to pass on to people. Boaz is coming in as a relative saying, I'm going to pay the cost for her to buy that back. He's using this Israelite law thing to purchase back her land so she has something to pass to the next generation. What's the next problem, though? She doesn't have a next generation, right? Her and Ruth, they don't have any kids. Boaz then says, I'm also going to marry Ruth, the Moabite, so that her husband's dead name will be carried on. What that means is he's going to marry her, and if they happen to have kids, this kid's not going to be named after Boaz. It's going to be named after Malon, Ruth's previous husband. I mean, are you catching some Boaz's character? He's paying all the cost for the land. He's marrying her, knowing that if any good, any kid comes from this, he's not going to get any credit, and he's giving her back her legacy. He's giving her back a shot to pass something on to the next generation. He says this. He proclaims this. He ends this by saying, today you're witnesses. And this is really, really key. The elders then speak up. Do you guys remember Monday night? I said we've become priests in the kingdom of God. We have authority to bless. Right? The elders actually use that authority here. They speak a blessing over Ruth. And it's this blessing that actually shifts Ruth's story. They say, we are witnesses. May the Lord... Whenever anybody says, may the Lord dot, 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 okay, it's a formula for a blessing. They're speaking to man on behalf of God now. May the Lord make this woman, Ruth, like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the family of Israel. May you have standing in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. Through the offspring the Lord gives you by this woman, may your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. All these women they're mentioning, Tamar, Leah, Rachel, these are spiritual mothers in Israel, people that God used in great ways to bring up the family. They're saying, we're believing God's going to do something great through this. God wants to raise this woman up. In verse 13, so Boaz took Ruth, she became his wife. There's one famine that's ended right there. She's no longer a widow. When When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive. She's now no longer barren. She has a kid and enabled her to have a son, A son. Somebody can take on the legacy, guys. Somebody's going to inherit the land. Somebody's going to inherit the name. Like, God is weaving all these things. He's ending her famines. The women said to Naomi, Praise the Lord, who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He'll renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you and is better than seven sons, has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son. And they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. When you live with famine as home base for a really, 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 really long time, what questions do you constantly ask? Will there be enough? Right, will there be enough food? Will there be enough money? Will there be enough safety? Will there be enough whatever? That's the question you constantly ask. And when you and I have lived in famine, like we've talked about this week, some of us have lived with famine as a home base. You've lived in a season of lack, and maybe you've been trained to ask, is there gonna be enough? God, is there gonna be enough money? Is there gonna be enough friends? Are there gonna be enough whatever? Guys, the good news from this passage is we're reading a story about a woman who was in famine, Who had a man step into her life who paid the cost and gave her back her legacy and did it without any glory to himself? Who does that sound like? That sounds a whole lot like the eternal Son of God, Jesus. So, an appropriate response to this passage today is worship. It's just to worship, it's just to say, whatever your famine is, can we agree Christ is overcome? Like, can we agree that he is risen, that we're an Easter people, that we serve a God, that whatever your famine is, it doesn't have the last word. I'm not saying we're going to end Ignite and that all your famines are going to be done. I'm saying no. In the midst of your famine, you can prophesy to yourself, your famine, and your community that Jesus wins. He's our kinsman redeemer. He buys us back. He pays the cost. Praise God. Praise God, we serve a resurrected Jesus and a risen Savior who does the work and finishes it. That's part of the response to this passage. But it's not the only response. I believe every passage calls us to worship. It has a gospel message, but then it also gives us a warning. It gives us a reframe. It gives us something different. I told you, land and line. What's that land and line? It's their legacy, right? They measure legacy by their land and their line. So if you look at Ruth's legacy, let's say this this, this little bottle, okay? That right there. Let's say that represents the size of Ruth's legacy. If you look at Ruth's legacy, what she's passing on in the spiritual at the beginning of the book, it is very, very small, it is very, very small. All she's really passing on is, is a nice example to people around her that she's loving on a widow, Naomi. But nobody's going like to remember her a ton when she dies. There's not going to be some book written after her. Like Ruth's legacy is very tiny in the book. And then you get this passage where she gets married and she can have a kid. And now she can pass something on and now this is the size of her legacy. So can you see this holds more than this? How would I say that? The capacity, the holding capacity of this is greater. Her legacy, the size has increased, but God's not even close to done yet. Did you catch this tiny little line that she had a son named Obed, who's the father of Jesse, the father of David? Yeah. So think about David for a second. Who wrote the Psalms? Who organized temple worship? Who's the benchmark against which all other Israelite kings are measured? David. David. Are you kidding me? Wait a minute. You mean this whole time in this story of famine, God's been weaving a journey to give her a legacy where her descendant, her great-grandson, is going to be the guy that wrote songs that you still sing But watch this. We only know that because we're on this side of the story. Ruth would have passed away before that was common knowledge. She wouldn't have known David was her great-great-grandson. Legacy. Increased capacity. And suddenly God increases it more. And a lot of you know where this goes, right? because there's somebody that's called the son of David. Right, right, the son of David. There's somebody that the Pharisees said, who's the son of David, when is he coming? And for Ruth to be the grandmother, the great grandmother of David, means she's also what, the ancestor of Jesus Christ. Guys, can I just say something to you? God has a really different way of measuring legacy. I have talked to so many young people on so many college campuses that have said things to me like, I want this size legacy. I want God to use my life in some awesome way. And if I'm being honest, in my 30s, that's exactly who I was when I was your age in my teens and 20s. I was like, I want this. If you were to make me an offer, Garrett, do you want this kind of life, this kind of life, this kind of life, or this kind of life? I would've said, dude, give me that kind of life. I wanna leave a legacy. I want something to change. I wanna live an uncommon life. And the world's gonna tell you and the church is gonna tell you. The way you do that is by putting yourself forward. Get on a stage. I'm sorry, that's not what Ruth did. The world's going to tell you your legacy is going to come from your talent or your skills. Do you realize we don't know a thing that Ruth was good at? The capacity of your legacy is not going to be proportional to your talent. The capacity of your legacy in the eyes of the kingdom of God will be proportional to your trust. If you need to hear, you should hear today. Isn't it crazy how differently God sees things? Look at some of those of you that are professors or that work here or faculty and It's funny to me that the older I get, I don't know that I'm getting better at assessing where God's working and how he measures. I think in some ways I am, in some ways I'm not. There's a lot of trust involved in this process. I'm gonna give you a a 30,000-foot picture here. If one correct response to this passage is worship. Worship. If it's to say, God, thank you so much, Jesus, that you have bought us back. In the the midst of our famine, we can still say we are strong and we have enough and we don't lack. And we can believe Psalm 23, 1, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. If that's an appropriate response, then this is also an appropriate response to see your legacy differently. But I would encourage you with this. Students, if you were to survey the people in the Bible that have this capacity of legacy... Most of the judges did not, by the way. I would say most of the judges, Gideon, some of them. Gideon's probably here. Um, Samson's probably there. Um, When I'm talking about here, I'm talking about Moses. I'm talking about Elijah. Um, I'm talking about Joshua. Like, if you look at the people that had really significant legacies, I mean, the capacity of their legacy was huge. There's a lot of insights you could draw from them. Uh, I'm just going to name one. Moses. Moses. Moses is about 80 when he starts his ministry in Egypt. Uh, Elijah, we know, spent at least three years hiding in the desert, getting prepared and learning to trust God more. David, who's anointed at about 12-ish, has to wait till he's 30 to become king. Look, I could tell you a lot of things about people with big legacies, but I would tell you this most of them had to go through a long season of preparation. I might go so far as to say, the size of your legacy might even be proportional to the length of your preparation. And if that's true, you might have to change the expected timeline for some of your life. That's why you might have to spend your 20s differently. I'm not saying you can't get married. I'm not saying you can't make money. I'm not saying you can't enjoy life. I'm not saying you can't move to where you want to move. I'm saying you have to be willing to not have those things. I want to invite worship team to come on back out. And students, I don't want to do anything more than you, for you right now than just pray for you. I want to pray for you. God, I pray for these students. I pray for those that are in a place of famine, you would enable them to worship. I pray, Jesus, you, their Boaz, their kinsman redeemer, would you bring them joy today, Lord, for any student that woke up today and thought, I just can't make it another day in this famine. I pray right now you put a little more oil in their jug, God. Right now, give them just a little more, God, a little more encouragement. Jesus, I pray for the the young lady in this room that really, really, really has a call on her life for a significant legacy. pray in the name of Jesus, you'd protect her mind, Lord. Protect her mind from pursuing that the wrong way that the world says, or even the church says. Lord, I pray you'd protect us from seeking out a stage or building our life on the foundation of our talent, And I pray you'd increase our trust. God, I pray for all of us that we buy into your timetable for our life. What you want for us, that we'll be willing to live different by a different rubric than the culture of the world around us because we're kingdom people. So God, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, continue to stir things on this campus that would have wide-reaching ripple effects. Do it for the sake of your son, for the sake of your church, and the sake of your lost world. God, do it even now do it even now. Thanks for listening to the Bethel University Chapel podcast. Subscribe to the podcast and get more information at chapel.betheluniversity.edu or check us out on the iTunes store by searching for Bethel University Chapel.